Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla, and we're recording this episode in what is usually sunny Southern California, uh, but where it is raining and very cloudy today. We are here to attend the annual meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society. One reason we love coming to this annual meeting is that it allows us to connect with Beeson alums who are serving in places far away from Birmingham, Alabama, who either live in the host city or who have traveled to be at this conference. Today, we're with two such alumni who serve right here in San Diego. But before we get to today's conversation, let me say just a brief word about our upcoming admission deadline and an early application giveaway we're running. If you or someone you know has sensed a call from the Lord to serve him in vocational ministry and is considering seminary, we would love for you to think of Beeson. Our fall 2020 application deadline is February 15, but those who apply one month early by January 15 will be entered into a drawing for a $500 scholarship. So if you're on the fence about applying or you're planning to apply but tend to wait until the last minute, we hope that you will submit your application early for a chance at this additional scholarship. Now, Kristen, please get us started by introducing our two guests. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, and welcome to Patrick and Kennerly King. Uh, Patrick and Kennerly are two of our distinguished alumni. As Doug has already mentioned, they are serving in San Diego. They are married, if you can't um, haven't already figured that out. Um, Patrick is the lead pastor of Covenant Church, and Kennerly is the spiritual formation director at the same church, Covenant Church. Uh, They both graduated in 2011 with a Master of Divinity degree. Uh, Kennerly's father, Doug Webster, is a professor at Beeson, and he and his wife are just beloved members of our community. Uh, Kennerly and Patrick have two sons, Micah and Jonah, and that about sums it up, right? (laughs) Um, But it doesn't. We want to know more about you, and I, I gave just a brief introduction, but if you could just tell us a little bit more about you, where you come from, your uh, faith journey, anything else you want to share? So I actually got to mainly grow up in San Diego, so third grade through college, and uh, really came to love it more after I left and just felt more drawn to it after I didn't have it anymore. Uh, But grew up in a Christian home, grew up, um, have wonderful parents, and just really got to grow up around ministry and in the church. And um, I think I just particularly appreciate that I really got to see uh, kind of the joys and struggles of ministry up front in a way that was, you know, age appropriate as I grew up, (laughs) but just a way that was authentic and um, just allowed me to see it, I think, for all of its glory and all of its um, hardships. So... So I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, um, a, a large family, uh, the extended family. My dad is the youngest of 10 kids, and so I have two younger brothers. And so we grew up there, um, loving parents, a great home. 
from a spiritual perspective, more of a cultural Christian home. So we would go to church maybe on Christmas or Easter. I was aware of um, Jesus and church, but no sense of a real relationship with Christ. And um, ended up going to a Christian high school called Wheaton Academy for sports, for soccer, and really kind of got discipled there and heard the gospel there and sophomore year justification as much as I understood it then clicked and became a Christian there and we ended up meeting at Wheaton College then so for some reason Kennelly left San Diego and went to Chicago for college and I stayed in Chicago and so um, we met there yeah how did the two of you make it to Beeson Divinity School? It's easier to guess how Kennerly made it since her dad is a professor there. Yeah. But Patrick, I think I've heard you were in business of some kind right. and decided at a certain point in your young adult years to stop yeah. doing the business and go to Divinity School. How did that all happen? So I started uh, Wheaton College as a Bible major and switched to business. So I think it was the seeds of it were, were there. So graduated, we, I moved to Arizona, was in an entrepreneurial type job. We had gotten married and uh, lived there. And I think we both didn't know exactly what it looked like, we're, but we're sensing kind of a, a call or pull from the Lord to kind of be vocationally involved in the church. And so we had heard about Beeson about a, a year, year and a half prior to that with Doug and Virginia moving to Alabama. Um, I actually enrolled in the MBA, MDiv program initially, and then... Um, but you don't take MBA classes the first year. And so I liked the MDiv classes so much, I just dropped the MBA and stuck with the MDiv. And, and so, uh, so yeah, that's um, kind of the short of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, talk to us about um, life after Beeson. You both uh, had a call to ministry. You prepared at Beeson. And then you went to Michigan, as I understand it, for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then God called you both back to San Diego. Why back to, for you, Kennerly, back to San Diego mm-hmm. and this church that you're, you both serve at, at, from what I understand, is a church revitalization. Can mm-hmm. you talk to us about that and what that has looked like? Yeah, uh, Michigan, we were there three years. Patrick was an associate pastor there, and that was like a just a really wonderful way of fleshing out a lot of what we had learned in a church that was already very well established and it gave us an opportunity to sort of be able to try you know doing things and with the support of knowing that if we fail it's gonna be okay Uh, but I think it also just spurred in us wanting to be in in a culture where the church was um, I guess like the post-Christian you know environment that is really more and more prevalent everywhere Um, We were just kind of aware of it being in San Diego. And in light of that, we were really considering strongly wanting to do church planting. And so we um, were really pursuing that and looking into that. And then uh, we were driving home from like a church planting event. It was at, I think, like a bar and they were having kind of like Q&A time with different, you know, church planters in our denomination in um, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, EPC. So Uh, We were driving home kind of discouraged, feeling like, wow, I don't know if this is like for us, but we feel very drawn in this direction. How do we reconcile these tensions and these conflicting feelings? And then we got a call from a fellow pastor um, friend in San Diego saying he had an opportunity, uh, wondering if Patrick was still interested in being, you know, in San Diego. So that was our introduction to the church that we now call home (laughs) and our church family. And uh, so you can maybe give some of the history of 
covenant. Yeah, maybe well, maybe alongside that too, while we were exploring this church planting conversation, I'd read a book called Church Planting is for Wimps by Mike McKinley and his, his story and his family story of revitalizing a church. So it introduced that category for us. And um, in the midst of that, I think at, in the church in Michigan, I did the, a strength finders exercise and my number one strength was maximizer. And so it's creating these categories that I think were preparing us for this phone conversation from this friend in uh, San Diego. So Covenant, Covenant in one shape or form is over 100 years old. And you know, in the 60s and 70s, it was a church about 900 members. It was half of its budget was going to missions. It was a really thriving community. But the neighborhood that it was rooted in, that it's building in, um, kind of took a little bit of a turn. And so I think that coupled with just different dynamics in the church, when we arrived and started talking with them, it was a church of about 60 or 70 people that had this rich history and had this um, building in this part of the city, the North Park neighborhood, that was now coming back and being revitalized. And so a sweet group of people who love Jesus and wanted to see their church connect with the neighborhood and just were, were looking for um, a couple to help them do that. And so it's kind of how we entered into that conversation with them. Oh, what is this church like now? I know on the website you talk about it as being intergenerational. Mm-hmm. Has it grown a little bit from the 90 that it was when you arrived? Mm-hmm. And uh, how are things going these days? Yeah, so it's it's a community of about 150 on Sunday. And um, you have, we have some folks who have been members for 60 years and then some who've, who've been there for six months. And I think it really spans the ages of 20 to we're celebrating a, 90, a 90 birthday, 90th birthday party wow. that's com- coming up soon. <laughs> And so, um, and it's a real credit to the longtime members who have allowed us to kind of experiment with some changes to be able to connect with the neighborhood in, in a new way. And so I would say it's a really healthy household of faith. Um, it's a diverse community. Uh, San Diego is a, is a big Navy town. So you have a contingent of folks who are here for three to five years from the Navy, from different parts of the country. You have longtime San Diegans. You've got folks who have landed in North Park because it's this interesting cultural neighborhood with restaurants and things to do like that. And um, it's a typical West Coast city all mixed together. And so it provides an interesting and challenging and fun environment to pastor and minister. Yeah. Kinderly, um, I'm interested to hear from you what a spiritual formation director does. Not a lot of churches have one. And um, what does your role look like? And what role does spiritual formation play specifically in your church? So it's um, it's been a really exciting role uh, to be in. So I get to be on the preaching team and be in part of that rotation. So I get to preach um, Advent coming up. And then uh, overseeing the uh, adult education classes. So we recently had a class uh, where um, actually my freshman uh, college roommate was able to teach the class, which was really exciting um, on uh, just how we can be good stewards of uh, with our diets and how we live sustainable living. And so, and that's her field of expertise over at uh, Point Loma. So it was a really neat opportunity to see how um, just how people's gifts outside of the church can be used to bless our church community. So I feel like I see spiritual formation as just really um, a kind of a broad term in the sense of uh, our spiritual development happening 
in all aspects of the church. So um, the content of those classes has just been a way for people to grow in community and relationships with each other as well as in their, you know, just knowledge and learning. And then um, encouraging the leaders that uh, do community groups at our church. Uh, We just recently had a meeting with them and they're doing just wonderful work of shepherding, you know, their smaller flocks within the bigger flock and uh, being able to pour into them and encourage them and uh, just continue to give them tools so that they are kind of ongoing learning and, and discipling others. You spoke earlier, Kennerly, about San Diego and other parts of the country as well being relatively post-Christian these days. Of course, Birmingham itself is more secular than it used to be, but I imagine San Diego feels more secular and most more post-Christian than even Birmingham does. What difference does that make for the way you approach spiritual formation? And I'd love to hear Patrick weigh in as well. I mean, what difference does it make for the way people do ministry here in San Diego? Uh, I think it definitely has its unique, I guess to start positively, I find it really refreshing in some ways because people are uh, maybe just more honest from the get-go of where they're coming from and where they're starting. I think a lot of, I think what can be sobering is that there's so much kind of deconstruction of ideas going on and a skepticism towards things that can be uh, challenging to speak into and to do it in an authentic and thoughtful way. But I have noticed that uh, maybe a, a strength of just being able to do ministry in this kind of time and place in history is that uh, the value that people find, I think, in if you really listen to them and care for them as a person, that there is more of a willingness to then hear the truth spoken in love. Uh, it has its challenges, though, and just nuancing you know, how you approach different truths, I guess, and just just not assuming any Sunday morning, everyone who walks in the door, there's no kind of general paradigm that they're all coming from. So you're just operating on, it can feel at times like you're operating on sort of more of a fragile stance, but really I think that's where the the blessing of being able to speak God's truth comes because we get to stand on the firm footing of the gospel and then just sort of love that into people, I guess. Yeah, a a couple of thoughts just from like a communicating or preaching standpoint. Uh, You just can't assume people know things. And so you have to do a lot of translation work. And if you're going to bring in theological words, you need to kind of work hard to translate them. I think also people, uh, everyone has some narrative that they're bringing into the to the church about life, about their story, about relationships. I don't think they always realize they are, but they are. And so that's both a challenge, but also kind of fun to help them realize, okay, this, this is what you are thinking about life. And, and this is, is the Jesus way. This, this is the gospel. And how do those line up? Um, so trying to help people know where they're at, even maybe more than they do. I think something that's really helpful for us is just the, we use the phrase, and we've got it from someone else called hospitable worship. So we talk a lot about hospitality with our leadership, just from how people are greeted when they walk into the space, to we have a five-minute greeting time in the middle of our service, to we have, you know, coffee. And, and a lot of churches have these things. We have coffee beforehand. We've got food afterwards. And I feel like if people, if they're, let's say, post-Christian or been away from church for a while, if they're seen and they're talked to, and they're cared for, it gives us a long runway then to kind of share about scripture and, and who Christ is. So, 
two of you make it sound like an exciting challenge. Yeah, <laughs> an that's adventure. why we're here. Yes. Yeah, more of our uh, Beeson students and Birmingham folks should consider yes, yes. Uh, moving into context like this to do yes. ministry. Yes. It, is there a downside that you'd want to let our listeners know about as well? What would be the most frustrating or burdensome aspects of ministering in such a secular context? I think I, I just mentioned like the the deconstructing, like the constant kind of questioning or um, kind of maybe people's tendency to, this is maybe a terrible image, but throwing like the baby out with the bathwater, like they had one bad experience in a church mm-hmm. and therefore all Christians and all Christianity can get swept up in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can get compassion fatigue, right? Because I mean, the church is made up of sinners. It's a hospital. So it's probably par for the course to have, you know, some experience that was difficult, uh, but just trying to help people uh, weather that and see through that. And I think that, well, particularly in San Diego, it is a really fun city. And so there's a lot of distractions. And I think we just live in a time where there is, uh, from, you know, phones and technology to nice weather in San Diego, there's a lot of opportunity uh, to be distracted and to be drawn away from gathering for worship on a Sunday or community group during the week. I think uh, just praying for patience. You know, you have to you have to walk with people for a long time and and help help them to um, kind of realize who they are in Christ. And, and that's those aren't quick changes. And so, just the long road of kind of like as Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction with people. Mm-hmm. I think you know sometimes um, you feel more patient than others. So yeah. yeah, Patrick, you mentioned the community where your church is located, and it's gone through quite some changes over over the last uh, decades. Um, talk to us about the context in which it is in a neighborhood that is that does have immigrants and refugees. Mm-hmm. What um, that has looked like for your church um, when it comes to outreach and then maybe the kind of impact that mm-hmm. those people groups have had on your church. Yes. Um, yeah, we I, I think we're still just learning and, and observing and not feel like we have all the answers, but just a posture of humility around that. Um, so we're about 25 minutes from the border. And so I think a big piece of us is, is partnering with organizations that are, that are peacemaking and loving our neighbors, our immigrant refugee neighbors. Um, so our church has invested in a group called San Diego Refugee Tutoring. So we're in a church that um, is... Um, a little bit, I guess you could call it hipster, or, but two miles away is an incredibly large refugee community. And at the Abara Elementary School, um, refugee students are being tutored there. So about 20 people from our folks go Tuesday and Thursday night and, and tutor there. And then um, there's an organization in San Diego called Hope for San Diego, and they're this kind of middleman between churches and organizations and trying to connect them. And so Hope for San Diego has brought uh, Matt Sorens twice to San Diego. So he's with World Relief, uh, World Relief and kind of a leading evangelical expert on this topic. And so he's spoken at our church twice. So I think it's just this posture of educating our community. Our, le- our leaders have gone to the border into Tijuana a couple of times. We're leading um, a group of 20 of our leaders in January just to go, to see, to learn, to talk. Just trying to kind of step out of the political conversation and just say, okay, our our neighbors are, are a variety of different types of people, including immigrants and refugees. And so how, how do we enter into their situations and love them? And tutoring is a big way we're doing that right now. 
Have you been surprised at all by how God has worked, not, maybe not just in San Diego, but in your own congregation as well? Any encouraging stories you'd have to share with our listeners about what you've been able to witness God do that maybe took you back a little bit, you didn't anticipate, but you were really glad to see? So we have, like any church, signs on our building. It says, join us at 10 a.m. for worship. And there's a brand new uh, uh, condo complex across the street from us. And so two sun- three Sundays ago, uh, a guy named Stephen in his 30s came and worshiped with us, came back again, and came to the membership class that we just had and shared that he'd been staring at that sign for six months and felt mm-hmm. like he should start reading the Bible. So he read the whole New wow. Testament. Wow, what does the sign say? Yeah. It says, join us, 10 a.m., come to church. <laughs> and he just, and then he, he just really connected with the church, and he's just, just really excited about Jesus, as he says right now. Wonderful. And so I mean, that's just a sign on a building. And um, so it would just talk about just trying to be in our neighborhood now, post of hope. You know, we're on the corner of Howard Avenue and 30th Street, and just can we be a presence for the gospel in our neighborhood. I don't, I mean, every Sunday you walk in and you see people from all across the country and all huge age spectrum and different backgrounds and ethnicities gathering to worship. And I feel like just Sunday, these, these people who wouldn't ordinarily be friends or a community is this new community because of the work of the spirit. So Sunday feels pretty every Sunday is reminding me. I think also too, we've uh, had a growing number of maybe like I guess typical millennials, that age bracket of just people who have not been in church for a while and then have sort of like tiptoed back in and they just have found something that I think they really value in, uh, you know, gospel centered preaching, but then also being like seen and known in a Christian community. And that seems like sort of a first experience for a lot of people, which is a refreshing, it's just refreshing to be around Mm -hmm. as they sort of discover that and get to enjoy it. So you have, you know, a 20-something going and helping a 90-year-old, or I guess she was more 80s, <laughs> um, like with her garden. And just kind of seeing those relationships form oh. that uh, otherwise, you know, probably wouldn't happen. It's neat. There's a lady named Jenny who's been at the church I mean, since she was a, a child. And she's just been paying, praying for the past few decades that the church would grow again. Mm-hmm. And so for her to be able to kind of witness yeah. it becoming like a stable, healthy community is, is just yeah. neat to see her prayers being answered in ways. I think we also may be unique with the work of uh, revitalization. We've kind of weathered maybe some like harder seasons of change. Change is just always hard for people and at any stage of life. Um, and then change in your church has just its own dynamics of, um, you know, people feel ownership, which is a really good thing, but then it, you have to walk through, you know, how change happens, like the process. And I think just, uh, having been there several years now, being able to see kind of how we've been able to weather it together. I think that is just the, a gift from the Holy spirit, um, and, just how trust has been formed and how we can appreciate now people's, mm-hmm. each other's gifts um, and do life together. That's wonderful. Well, friends, God is at work among Beeson alumni all over the world, even here in San Diego, California. You have been listening to pastors Patrick and Kennerly King, uh, Beeson alums who now serve at Covenant Church here in San Diego, California. Uh, thank you very much, both to you, Kennerly, and to you, Patrick, for being with us. It's a lot of fun reconnecting with you here on the West Coast. God bless you and your ministry. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us. Goodbye for now.
You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.